Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Special shout out to Russell Martz for the awesome intro music. You can find Russell on SoundCloud at Sprouts Music, S-P-R-O-U-T-Z. And now, we hope you'll enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey, Michael, how are you doing this week? Doing okay, Nate. How are you? I'm good. I'm really only asking out of politeness because <laughs> we've been on the phone for a little bit. Yeah, and we started recording. Yeah. And you are the dog rescuer today. So that's, yeah, man, I'm so yeah. impressed. I, well, don't, don't, don't give me too much credit because I wasn't excited about being a dog rescuer. I actually, as I was sitting down to call you, um, this little dog followed me in my driveway. I was coming back from checking the mail and I was coming home to to give you a call or, and visit, and uh, this dog followed me in his little pug, and uh, and I thought, man, I do not want to have to deal with that dog. Stay on the other side of the street, little dog. And I was I was actually clipping my fingernail, so I had like a hangnail, and so I was clipping it, and I was standing on the front porch while I was doing that, uh, and he came right up to me. And he thought, was drawn to you. Now, now I have to. He heard the fingernail clippers, and now he's found me. And uh, and I am not a pug fan, just to be honest with you. I'm not a, I'm <laughs> I know because we were talking before. You were kind of like goofy pug. <laughs> <laughs> I know they just they can't breathe right. They're just annoying. All and their little bark sounds so hoarse and pitiful. You know, I just I'm more of a German Shepherd kind of a dog guy you know if i'm gonna have a dog i want it to be a dog you know uh, and so i uh anyway he comes over and and turns out he was a she Lila. <laughs> yeah. and um common and mistake it's I just, okay you know i felt bad so i i had a disc from my son's disc golf bag laying there it was actually a putter so it was deep enough to hold some water so i flipped it over put some water in it and a dog got a drink and while the dog was taking a drink I posted on our our Facebook page because I you know the pressure to take care of this dog just to be more to be honest and this reveals way more about me than I want people to know probably but uh, I, I wasn't feeling pressure because the dog needed a human to take care of it I was feeling pressure because of, there's a human somewhere attached to that dog that is my neighbor and lives in this neighborhood and I was struggling with what does it mean to be neighborly and how you know should i what should i do so feeling that pressure i neighborly in a neighborly way i put the dog in my backyard gave it something to drink and posted online that this dog is at my backyard if you're its owner please feel free to come get it i just thought you were such a great steward of creation care yeah you know i yeah i wish i wish my heart was there i'm just such a it came off making me look good, but the truth is, is that you know. I, well, I'm not, 
passionate. You were neighborly enough to care about the person. So, so well, there's, there's a beginning step for there's all a begin- us. There you yeah. go. Well, <laughs> and I was here to hear the other side of it. And Lulu's owner was just ecstatic. So you, you made someone very excited today that they found <laughs> their missing pug. Sorry to all you pug owners out there. We are not pug yeah. kind of people. I, I have an English Springer Spaniel, which uh, was kind of a little bit dicey in getting that dog because uh, my one of my ex-girlfriends had the dog. And <laughs> I, I had let this be known to my wife, but I told her... It's okay, you know, I love the dog more than the girl. So can I get the dog? Because it's a great breed. And so we did. Actually, it was a fiancé, ex-fiancé. So there's, oh, a, no. there's a whole other story. I, didn't, um, I don't know that I know that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's a great story. I, I tell it a lot. But uh, thankfully, uh, I was woken up at some point and saw this beautiful girl at Southern Nazarene and uh, was like, man, I really want to date people like her. So um, it's a long convoluted tale, but someday we may tell it on air and I might be in trouble for even sharing the dog Even part. bringing it up, you know. But <laughs> you named the last one, the the one where Paula got booed. <laughs> this might be the one where Nate gets beat up or something. I'm not sure. The one where Nate sleeps on the couch. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, we we had talked about maybe getting into some ideas of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, and then you had kind of tossed out a word, orthocardia. So first of all, why don't you explain what all those mean for people who maybe don't (laughs) use those terms on a regular basis? Well, orthopraxy is uh, right action or right practices, Um, ortho dentist is right teeth <laughs> um, no, yeah. ortho uh, ortho if orthopraxy is uh, right practice and orthodoxy is right belief or right thinking um, and I just feel like uh, within the human experience sometimes we, we treat it like those are the only two you know like there's orthopraxy so there's right practice and there's right thinking um, but it seems like there's just some other kind of element that you know, which one leads to which is always the question. Does ortho, does right thinking lead to right practice, or does right practice lead to right thinking, uh, or how are they mutually beneficial to one another, and does it work in a cycle? So there's always this question going on about that, and I just feel like that there's something else uh, going on there because you know, it, it you can believe the right thing and not act in accordance with it, and you can act in accordance with something that you don't actually believe. Yeah, it becomes a chicken and an egg a little bit, you know. It really does. It Which becomes, one leads to the other? And Yeah, then there's this quandary about it, and there's plenty of argumentation about this whole topic. But my, my concern is that there seems to be something else at work, uh, and, and I just I didn't know what else to call it. Um, so I call you know, because in my family we have this phrase, we'll say, when like when my kids try hard but they don't do well, so like in athletics or something like that, if maybe they do something and it's you can tell that they tried hard, they put out a lot of effort, um, but they really just look clumsy or silly or and they failed at the task in some way or another. Um, I'll I'll just tell them what one of my coaches told me when I was in junior high. You got a lot of heart, pig. 
You get a lot of. <laughs> and uh, would that be a pig heart? Because I did, di- I dissected one of those in did, high school. Did, yeah, yeah. I have a. Some people have a big heart. I have a pig heart. Um, there you go. And they. Um, so there was this, you know, this. There's something going on there where if you talk to coaches, if you talk to teachers, if you talk to people who spend a lot of time around teenagers who are trying hard but may or may not have the talent, may or not may or not uh, excel at what they're doing, uh, there's always this concession that says they've got a lot of heart. They've they they tried hard, you know. Um, I was at an awards banquet yesterday for uh, the, the local news channel in Austin gave out these awards to five kids who care and had done great things in their community. And there's this young man who he gathered up books and he made sure that the books were distributed and he built those little libraries, those little uh, take one, leave one libraries that you put in uh, in parks and on street corners and whatnot. And he had built several of those and he was he was very concerned that kids learn how to read and, and that they have reading material. And, and um, anyway, he... He gave a speech and he apologized at the end of his speech, uh, his acceptance speech, and said, "I'm sorry for my, for my bumbling over my words," and because he had he kind of tripped over his words the whole time. But the whole time he was talking, he was one of the most uh, expressive people. Even though he wasn't the greatest communicator, he was. It, you just it exuded from him. You felt that he had so much heart, like he was receiving the award uh, more for his heart than he was for his accomplishments, you know? Um, I felt like, you know, as he grows older, older, gets a handle on some of those communication skills and whatnot, he's gonna be a phenomenal adult. Uh, he, he was a phenomenal kid, but I just went up to him afterwards and said, man, your heart really showed through. And it strikes me that orthopraxy and orthodoxy, uh, that argument, that chicken and egg argument, just can't be answered with just those two things. So I made up a word called orthocardia. Um, cardia being the word for heart. Um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say cardio. I don't know what the right, uh, you know, form of the word is. I know car- cardio day is terrible, so let's go with cardia. Cardia. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't want cardio day either. I, I, I get sick to my stomach just thinking about it. to talk about this in ways uh, where I would say, and maybe we're getting to the same thing, that when I preach, I talk about that our feet follow our hearts. So um, I use the example when I met my wife, now this is going to be something maybe redeeming of this podcast, but <laughs> when I when I met my wife, I started going different places than I went before because she was there. I went to movies more. Um, because she was there. I went with her. I met her in the library. And then about the third time we met, both of us were like, do you ever actually study in the library? And both of us were like, no, I was just meeting you here because I thought you did. (laughs) And so, so, you know, your feet start going different places. Uh, Wherever she was at was where I wanted to be more and more and more. So I, I think you're on to something there. I think it is something that we kind of miss and I think a lot of our holiness, uh, us Nazarenes, like our forefathers, they would speak a lot of this changed heart yeah. uh, that motivated them to not just sit and enjoy the pleasures of God's goodness, but 
to right living and to the margins and to the outcasts and the poor. So sure. I think there's something there. Yeah, I think I think sometimes our right practice can be obligatory and our right beliefs can be obligatory, but there's something significant about the heart. And I know that, that people who are really into this conversation would say, well, Michael, you know, right belief is covering this ground. Uh, but oftentimes, right belief isn't, we don't mean belief in, in terms of heart and mind connection. We, need, we mean belief in terms of, are you stating it properly theologically? Um, have you read the scripture and interpreted it properly? And it's very academic, and so it feels very cold. And so I, I kind of, I, I think that's my real contention with the argument is maybe it started out as you could say belief and mean heart and mind connected, but I don't know that that we've treated it that way in the long run. I think a lot of ways we we think, well, I believe the right thing. So, and that's become a, a transactional way of viewing our relationship with God. And I'm practicing the right thing. And that's a transactional way of viewing our relationship with God. But when you talk about heart, you're really moving from uh, maybe, a, you know, in Israel, holiness was understood through the priestly tradition, uh, through the prophets, but also through the sages. And the sages talked about this holiness of heart. Um, John Wesley really tapped into that and experienced that in his Aldersgate experience, where his heart was strangely warmed, he talks about. There's just something deeper and more mis- more of a mystery that's going on. And I think when we talk about orthopraxy and orthodoxy, sometimes we leave out the mystery. And so that's why I'm going to insert that orthocardia. Um, I, I, it really occurred to me that way because I was talking to my friend who speaks Portuguese. His name is Igor, and he lives in, in Amazonas, Brazil, um, uh, in a city called Manaus. But he used to live in a city called Potanchins, um, and he's... Uh, we've done a mission trip down there, and he's just a good friend. We uh, we used to Skype every Tuesday and pray for a wife for him. Um, one day he called me. I was going to say, I found her. I found her. Yeah, and now he's got a kid, and I think, uh, and and they're they're happily married and they're doing ministry together. But uh, I was a little concerned for your ministry for a second there. I'm <laughs> glad you clarified <laughs> for, for him. For him, he he requested it. I already had a wife, um, so you know uh, somebody prayed well for me on that behalf on my behalf for that and uh, so I was inclined to do the same for him but um, you know in talking I was sitting in a worship service um, in a little bitty church in the middle of the Amazon forest and uh, he leans over and the, the word on the page is misericordia um, and and it's translated mercy so the word mercy is misericordia which is actually two words put together. So it was misery of the heart put together. So mercy is practicing an understanding of the misery of your heart. So I sit with you in the pain and the suffering and the struggle, and we know that that's how love works. And so um, that's, that's kind of always this, for whatever reason, him telling me that in that moment created a lens in my way of thinking and I'm always thinking uh, whether I try or not I seem to be thinking through this lens of mercy um, and and it has something to do with you know aligning your heart and so when I think about orthodoxy and orthopraxy it, it it seems like there's more to it there's a there's something there I don't just want to align my practices I, I, and I don't want to align my, my my beliefs and my thinking um, only 
those things are important and I want those to be in alignment, but it seems like those flow out of my heart being aligned with my creator. And that's how I get to that place. Anyway. Right. And I think one of the things that I see is, is people go on both extremes of, of understanding orthodoxy as including the heart or just an academic, you know, we'll see the people who are like poo hoo on academics, you know, and, and they're like, well, don't go get to learning and it'll, it'll mess up your burning. You know, if, if you learn too much, your heart won't burn anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've actually heard that phrase before, but then you've got the other, the other side where you've got the academics uh, who, who purely see the idea of God as, as kind of some kind of exercise of the mind, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, you might, you might see a lot of stoic stoicism in expression and, and I think there's got to be uh, a sense in which both are true. Uh, the more you learn, sometimes I think for me, the more humbling it is, the more in awe of God I become because the more questions I actually have. Um, but but yeah, I, and I think prayer is important there too because prayer seems to be the discipline in which instead of talking about God, we talk to God. Yeah, I had a guy tell me today, he said, you see me at my most most vulnerable when you hear me pray. Yeah, yeah. I thought, wow, you, that's huge. I'm not yeah. sure what to do with that. I remember the first time I started, you know, as a pastor, when I became the person who did pastoral prayer, it felt very like I was naked up there in front yeah. of everybody. You know, yeah. it's just like, it's very intimidating because prayer to me had always been something uh, that that I didn't do in public as much. I mean, I prayed out loud at meals and things like that, but, but to be the one who prays on behalf of the people uh, still at times is, is a little bit uh, unnerving and intimidating. And I, one of the things that uh, Marty Michelson at Southern Nazarene, he, he did this great lecture on Psalm 23. And he noted that in the center of Psalm 23 is the phrase for you are with me, but that before that phrase, there was a sense in which it's always in the third person. So he makes me lie down. He leads me. Uh -huh. But after for you are with me, it turns to second person where you, 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 uh -huh. uh, you prepare a table before me. And so I've asked people in sermons before, um, is God a he to you or is God a you? And I think that's when the, the heart gets invested is when we can we can say God is the one I say you uh, too, and I'm not talking about God, but I'm actually talking to God. I'm turning my face toward God, if you will. Sure. I think the challenge there uh, on that pastoral prayer is always, uh, you know, at least for me. I think other people struggle with it too. I think I've been I've born I've borne witness to them struggling with it, um, or maybe they didn't struggle with it. They just unashamedly uh, preached a sermon in a prayer. Um, yeah. Oh, I I struggle <laughs> with that. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. I know I struggle with it. And I'm like, man, I preach two sermons a day, one during the prayer time and one during the sermon time. <laughs> so. I, and I always think, you know, although this happens in scripture too. So I, I let myself off the hook a little bit. People tell God about who God is in their prayers in scripture. So it doesn't make me feel quite as bad. Sometimes well, it yeah, feels like because it's a confession at that point. It's, you know, I'm not telling God for God's sake. I'm telling God for my sake. Right. And, yeah. and when, you're, when you're pastoring a congregation, a lot of times you're telling, 
you're telling yourself in front of them so that we all kind of get on the same page with this is what we believe. This is what we say we believe. And that is a, that's a practice of, of bringing people into right belief. Um, you know, so, so other than prayer, you have any other thoughts about how do we, you know, you ever felt like sometimes maybe my heart's not in it as much as I want it to be. How do we move towards a more heartfelt or sincerity? Uh, yeah. To be sincere. Um, and also to let that drive both our belief and our action at some point. Well, for those who are struggling, I, I tend to say, you know, wanting to want to be real is <laughs> still it's still, a, it's still uh, an okay place to be. Just to be honest about that. Um, but I think the way I think sometimes the answer is uh, is orthopraxy. Yeah, I was going to say that sometimes you can act yourself into a new way of feeling. Yeah, I'm, you know, um, I talked to a lady this week and and, uh, she was struggling kind of in her faith and struggling to know, you know, where, what's next. And the only advice that, I mean, and I didn't even give the advice. She just told me that a friend told her that she should go serve. And I said, well, we can give you a place to do that. Yeah, and because I think gave her a couple and, of, you know. We'll oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Yeah, you. I I think what I was going to say that um, in marriage counseling, we we talk about some of the same kinds of things. Like some days you don't feel like being married, but you just begin to act into loving your spouse, and so yeah. uh, there will be our emotions will kind of go up and down. I also think there's encouragement in uh, Ezekiel. We were studying Ezekiel, and I don't have the chapter and verse, but where yeah. God continually says God will put a new heart and a new oh, spirit. Yeah. So so part the of that whole, work is the God's whole work. Ezekiel is this restoration narrative. And and we were talking about it this last week too. We were in chapter 47. Uh, where it was kind of this national baptism story where all of a sudden the the trickle flowing out of the out of the the temple becomes a great river that bathes the whole thing and causes yeah. life to grow. And we've been talking about baptism and, you know, he like got neck deep out there with this man who led him and, 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 you know, just the, sometimes the only thing, the only answer to what ails us is our willingness to, to get neck deep in, in service, to get neck deep in, in orthodoxy or orthopraxy or orthocardia, just jump in and, and that leap of faith uh, we, you know, it, it seems to scare us to death, but it scares us to death because we know how much of a reality it can become. And we know that our God, uh, like C.S. Lewis talks about Aslan, uh, not being a tame lion, that you, you can't, you can't negotiate with God about when you, when you want him to have your whole heart, you can't negotiate that. Like he didn't say, you know, I want 80%. And he says, I want all. And right. so, I think that's why it's easier to talk about orthopraxy and orthodoxy. But when you add the orthocardia element, man, you're inviting the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you don't know how my believers, they're, they're like the wind. They, you don't know where they're coming or where they've come from or where they're headed. You just see the effects. And man, that, that sounds exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, I, I like the picture of jumping into a river that's flowing at flood stage. And you just get carried away. And it's... <laughs> It's exciting, like but it's also <laughs> terrifying because yeah, you could. I don't like that image. That scares the fire out of me. You could drown, but yeah, I, hey, I stand on the beach and I think that is so big. 
Like, I don't know what to do with the ocean. It's just right. what it all came at us at once, you know? Um, yeah. At the same time, there's something very peace-giving about, you know, something that that continued the ebb and flow and the receding and the depth of it all. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's one of those both-and experiences. Yeah, so, man, I, I think this is good stuff. So kind of summarizing, if you, uh, man, if your heart, if you feel like those feelings of, of your heart are, are a little bit uh, lacking, just jump in and trust that God uh, will lead you. Uh, I like, like Michael said, I think the, the ability to be real is that first step. Hey, um, it's been good to talk to you. If I'm not back next week, uh, it's because of the dog comment. Or if my dog suddenly ends up on your doorstep like the dog you got today, then you'll <laughs> know why. So I'll know why. I have to communicate through Paula from there. Yeah. Hey, I, I love you, brother. I say that every week and people may think that's weird, but I think in the body of Christ it's it's not. Um like there's been there's some deep relationships I've developed with Absolutely. lots of friends who I, I don't mind saying I love you and I'll see you next week. All right. Take care. All right. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.